Arable, dairy, beef, sheep, pigs, chickens. Are you looking for the best agri-advice from the real specialists? Look no further. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of season two of the Wednesday agri podcast. Today, we'll be revisiting beef production and exploring how to manage costs following spring calving and turnout. To take on this topic, I'm welcoming back Wednesday sheep and beef specialist Bryn Hughes to the podcast. Hello Bryn, great to have you joining us today. Hello, Tony. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Yourself? Yeah, very well. Thank you, Tony. Good. Many of our listeners will have heard you on the uh, Future Proofing Your Cycle Herd episode back in January, so uh, I won't ask you for a lengthy introduction, but perhaps you could share what Wednesday's beef team have been up to over the last couple of months and how you've been supporting your farm customers. Yeah, thanks, Tony. It's been a busy time, like all winters and springs, really. A lot of day-to-day stuff been going on, but yeah, there's been quite a few major topics of conversation. I think we're in unprecedented times, really. You know, Tony, you've been at it quite a long time, so have I, and I don't think that we've seen such volatility and changes in the input prices, whatever, in the in the time that I've been working in agriculture, which is quite a while, actually. So, you know, major changes, and that's obviously focused the minds of our customers, it's focused the minds, minds of Winstay as well, and into how we can support our customers with these changes that are ahead. You know, there's been a lot of discussion with our customers regarding price of fertilizer, how they can kind of mitigate that price or how they can manage the fertilizer they bought. And I suppose that kind of your customers would be split into maybe three different groups there. The first of ones which are sitting relatively pretty having bought fertilizer and are now considering the replacement cost of that. And the advice for them is the same as the other two groups in terms of how to use that fertilizer effectively. There's another group of guys who came into the market at their normal time, which would be a spring purchase, and have been kind of pretty horrified by the prices as as we are as a company, and have most probably bought a bit less fertilizer, maybe kept the bill to the same same size and are now considering how they can get the maximum out of that investment in the fertilizer and then i suppose we've all got the third category tony where they haven't bought any fertilizer or they're considering alternatives such as farmyard manure cutting down stocking rates selling stock early using foliar feeds so you know big changes in terms of how we grow forage for animals and that's i think has been the major point of discussion this year as well as the impending or the increase in feed prices that have arrived. Now, fortunately, a lot of people were on longer term contracts, but most of these will be running out now and that can have a major impact on your feed costs going forward. And I also think that, you know, there are some guys that will be in situations where they've signed longer term contracts with the people that they're supplying and that can put a massive amount of pressure on those businesses. So, you know, real challenging times, Tony. Uh, I don't think we've seen times like this before. So it's important that we provide some advice to our customers and try and help people through. And possibly is a time that doing the same thing the same way may not be the answer at the moment. But there mm-hmm. we are. It's, it's what we've got to deal with, isn't it? So if you could single out the biggest opportunity and also the biggest threat at the moment, could you name two things? Yeah, I think the biggest opportunity is that I think there will be a focus a bit on home supplied agricultural products. And, you know, the the way that manifests itself, it really is that the, the price for beef is very, very buoyant as high as it's been for quite a few years. Um, so, you know, good cull cow prices, good finished beef prices. 
and good store beef prices as well. And also all the way through the chain, the prices for the finished products are good. Whether they're good enough to cover the increase in cost is really up to the efficiency of the farmer. So there's a there's a real opportunity there. And I also think that the red meat sector, we have got an opportunity to utilise feeds that can be utilised in other areas forage being the main example but you know there is an opportunity there whereas you know the white meat sector which is a sector that we compete with have got a real challenge in terms of 85 percent of their costs would be feed so you could see that relatively quickly there'll be an increase in the price of pig and poultry meats so Mm. yeah big big opportunity in terms of increased prices the main threat i think is you know how do we cope with these high input prices how can we be a bit more efficient? And, you know, something that the advisors, including ourselves, have always relied on is that, you know, graze grass is cheapest, forage is cheapest. Now, there still is, the fact that there is, it still is, but that is considerably more expensive than it used to be. So efficiency on that front is is key as well. So, yeah, big, yeah. big opportunity, huge threat. And I suppose the, there's another threat as well, Tony, which is well documented. And it's equally important for farmers as, as to the general public is that there is, and I don't like the word crisis, I suppose, but there is the cost of living crisis as well, isn't it, that, mm. you know, heating oil for rural communities is expensive fuel for cars is expensive all insurance costs have gone up so there there is a real squeeze on there and then it's important isn't it that we focus on getting profitable outputs to cover that squeeze on on the rest of what we're doing so yeah challenging times tony i'm sure we've heard it all before in terms of challenges but i think this is a real tough one really yeah yeah Moving on to, you know, what we're here to talk about today, the cows have calved going towards the end of April now, so mostly back out onto grass. So what's your advice on setting targets, managing them and so on? Yeah, there's a lot to be done with a suckler herd. The average kind of profitability is poor. I think the average gross margin without the subsidy is about minus £134. And that's been the same for 30 years, I suppose, that they haven't been a particularly profitable enterprise on a lot of farms. Now, having said that, there are profitable suckler systems. They appear in costings. I've worked closely with a few of my clients that where we have put positive change into place and turned around what were Cinderella enterprises really on on mixed farms and we've turned them around with a few focus on a few points to being quite profitable parts of the business as well also you know got to focus on the fact as well that a cow does add value to a farm in a number of ways farmyard manure this year is a very very valuable commodity there's a lot the cattle can do in terms of fertility in mixed farm situations with arable crops and also they you know they're they're a reasonably liquid form of cash and um, you can sell sell cattle and help your bank balance pretty rapidly as well. So yeah. uh, they, they have got a, a, a place uh, on farms, but, you know, if you don't focus on what makes them profitable, you can soon lose money with them as well. So, yeah. so if we kind of, if you start off with the basics to be able to measure and manage, really, you need to know your cost of production with the schemes now with the suckler cows. There's a number of schemes available and they don't need to be too complex to work out your cost of production. Where, and from my own experience as farm management really as well, is that where it gets complicated in terms of producing a realistic gross margin or a margin budget for suckler cows is where costs are intermixed. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Know, and that can be, you know, tricky. Or how much diesel do I spend on the cows? How much, you know, diesel does, goes on the sheep, etc., on the arable side. So that's difficult to untwine from each other. But I think it's really important. I was talking to quite a good sheep farmer that I deal with, and he said, "Yeah, I've worked out now, Bryn, that every lamb that I've produced has cost me a pound in terms of electricity in the in the sheep shed, whereas last year that it was fifty five pence. So you know okay. you can go down to that kind of detail, and it's most probably worthwhile doing it. Now, what are the major costs in terms of the suckler cow system? And if you get these wrong, your costings will be wrong. It's you know it's the feed and forage side of it really is that is the major cost of it. Um, and those are things that you can do something about this year as well. And also, you've got to look at, you know, how much capital you've got around those circular cows as well. But remember, most profitable circular cows, the most profitable circular cow enterprises made the profits last year before subsidy. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, but I think you need to ask yourself a few questions about where you're spending the money and where you're getting the return in, in the circular enterprise. And just to, you know, kind of make it, a little bit easier for us to get our heads around. I always look at trends on farms and what's the trend for profit with a suckler cow system. And they're pretty simple, really. And we can put them into like sort of five points if you wanted to. First one would be rear more calves per cow per year. So mm-hmm. maternal fertility factors, extremely important. Rear calves to heavier weights. Well, how do you do that? Concentrate on bulls that are selected for growth concentrate on making sure that the calf has got enough feed resources in front of it at all times concentrate on making sure that the cow is in the right body condition and can milk sufficiently the other trend is that it tends to be that the profitable guys are very very careful about using purchase feed they use it effectively as a stopgap and they don't depend on it a hundred percent and then also the guys who make a profit tend to have lower fixed costs and tend to sell more beef per hectare, if we want to say. So those fixed costs are diluted over more kilos. So, you know, those are a few trends for profit. And I, I think the other thing that I see with the effective suckler cow farmers really is that they tend to focus their investment on what's going to give them a return. And that can be simple things like electric fencing, uh, a little bit of water or track infrastructure out in fields. It doesn't have to be, and we all like them, I suppose, a nice shiny new machine to do a job that you, <laughs> yeah. you were already doing. You know, so yeah. um, so so some expenditure like that can be profitable for them. So when you yeah. mentioned there that um, the profitable ones have lower fixed costs, what what is included in that category? The category would be your overall kind of insurance, your running costs of the farm, isn't it? Like the uh, ground costs. But I think the Achilles heel on quite a few of these systems are shiny machines, really, that are there because somebody's done a good job of selling them a machine that potentially saves them some money, but actually costs them a fair bit of money to operate. So I think that is the, you know, the Achilles heel on on quite a few systems, really. High, okay. high fixed costs. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, you've got to remember, and it certainly will focus the mind, really, that cattle got four legs and a mouth. And I think we should focus our systems on systems that utilize those naturally given resources to a cow. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. 
uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago about being able to measure and monitor. What what do you need to measure? Yeah, if it looks specifically at cyclic cows, really, things that you need to really monitor is are you get a calf per cow per year. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the statistics, it's about 82% in the UK. So what, what does that mean to the farmer? It means that your £1,200 cyclic calf check really needs to be multiplied by a factor of 0.82, which brings it down to £1,100 as your output, doesn't it? So um, some quick maths there, really. So that's a a key factor. And, you know, to get more calves per year, you really need to focus on your maternal traits. Quite an interesting stats that came out of the States, really, is where they have been looking at, you know, efficiency for a longer time than we have because they've got larger circle cow operations. Fertility traits and maternal traits can have five times the benefits in terms of profitability rather than improving growth rates and carcass traits. So maybe there's a there's a little bit of history there, isn't it, that the European grid system has focused very, very highly on confirmation. And some of these best confirmation, and I most probably get shot down by some breed societies here, <laughs> um, some of the best confirmation calves don't always, with exceptions, just to cover myself, and aren't always associated with the best maternal traits. Okay. Um, you know, difficulties of calving as well can be a problem. So, yep, that's one area specifically. Now, the problem with that is, is that an issue that we can solve today? We're looking at a cost of production kind of situation today, aren't we? And it's a little bit more of a longer term project to improve the maternal traits of your herd. But certainly, you know, inseminations today for your heifer replacements in the future should be made with maternal traits in mind. Now, there's a quicker opportunity than it with a few people where we've gone out and changed the herd to a more maternal based herd. Okay, because there were there were issues within that herd anyway. So there's plenty of um, opportunities there. Other factors really for profitability is age at first calving, something that we bang on about on the dairy side for a long time. Tony target of 24 months, 22 months in some some places. The average in the beef industry is 32 months. And something that somebody told me a long time ago is that there's always a reason why people do things, Bryn. So why have we got a an average age of 32 months? That's an average. So there'll be some outliers at three years old. There'll yeah. be some outliers at two years old. But why have we got an average somewhere in the middle? Well, talking to a lot of suckler cow producers, they're worried about calving issues. Mm-hmm. Um, or the cows are too small. So your basic target for a suckler cow at first insemination or a suckler heifer insemination would be 380 to 400 kilos. So she needs to be well grown to get there. And there's been poor results with in terms of synchronizing heifers to getting calf. You know, the average suckler cow herd in the UK is relatively small. Quite often the heifers are related to the main bull in the herd. So AI has got a, an opportunity there. But sometimes, you know, poor observation of heat, poor synchronization of heat can be an issue where, you know, you miss a month, you possibly miss, miss two months, that increases the age of the calving. So there's always a reason why things are where they are. So why are we at 32 months? My summary would be farmers are nervous about calving at younger ages heifers don't really achieve their target uh, weight for ser- first service of 380-400 kilos and I suppose there's a little bit of the, the mindset issue as well and I suppose the fifth one is difficulty getting them in calf. So 
So mm. quite a few factors there, but all factors that are within our control to improve. So how do you improve it? Make sure the heifers grow well on grass is the first one. Focus some attention on your heifers would be the second one. Select heifers for growth, select heifers for maternal traits. And those would be my key things there. Now, carving down at 24 months has a real impact on the profitability of the herd. Your replacement cost is around about 8 to 10%. So if you bring that six or, you know, yeah, six to eight months empty time down, it improves the profitability of your herd. So, yeah, quite a few things to think about there, really. So getting efforts to be putting calf at the right weight, you really need to be measuring their, their growth rates. How many suckle herds would be doing that? Yeah, that, yeah, you do, Tony, don't you? And like, uh, you know, I think key points at for measuring growth rates would already be 200 days, which gives you yeah. an indication of how well the cow has done for you. And also 400 days, which gives you a good indication of how the calf has grown after being weaned, really. So and we quite often see a pretty nasty dip in performance post weaning so that's something to focus on as well that they do quite well up to about four months and then as they become more reliant on at about four months about half of the sucker calves growth comes from milk the other half comes from other feed and if the calves are competing with the cow for that feed then we can see a dip in performance then as well mm. so yeah definitely got to monitor doesn't have to be particularly sophisticated the way you monitor it but you know simple things like growth rates growth height heights can be a, a good thing really most cyclic cow beef producers should have a, a facility to weigh cattle still surprising how few have facilities mm. and possibly don't use it because it's a bit of a, a rodeo when it comes to weighing cattle and people mm. prefer to leave them but a lot of our customers unfortunately are in tb areas and they're quite often running through races and crushes at a, a frequent interval with that so you know there's an opportunity mm. there to monitor performance isn't it mm. yeah so right now then i say we're towards the end of april the cattle are grass what can they do to better manage their grassland I mean, you did touch on electric fencing earlier is that something they could yeah i think up? there's a there's an opportunity there tony now obviously fertilizer is very very expensive so the days of throwing a bit of fertilizer around and hoping for the best and most probably behind us but getting the most out of that fertilizer that you bought is is key we haven't had a good growing april really been too cold and been too dry so now is the time really for that fertilizer to go out you've got to remember that 60 to 70 percent of all the grass is grown from april through to the end of june start of july so that's our peak grass growing period So if you've got a, got fertilizer there, now's the time to put that out. And how do you manage that then? Calves, really, to get the most out of it, cows and calves need to be in a, between 8 and 10 centimetres of grass, okay? Now, if you can do things, we used to do it 30 years ago, I suppose, forward creep grazing for, yeah. for calves, really beneficial. And if you haven't got the infrastructure or you can't keep the calves and the cows in the right place, which does happen with that system, you can also look at rotational grazing. We're in a, a lot of areas have got smaller fields, splitting the field in half by a water trough can g- give you real benefits and real simple and cheap to do. And try, try and move the cows around. Most people know about rotational grazing. It doesn't have to be capital expensive, but a couple of electric fencing units and a bit of patience can pay real dividends. I think 
uh, statistics, Tony, correct me if I'm wrong, there's about 30 or 40% more growth in rotational grazing systems than there is in set stocking systems. So, again, big benefits to be had there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I, mean, you know, I think with the rotational grazing, you've got a better picture of how much grass is ahead of you as well. When I set stocks, you know, when the grass has run short, it's, well, it's too late, isn't it? <laughs> you can, yeah. Not much yeah. you can do about it. And there's, but, there's mm. you know, a key point there really, isn't it, that allowing grass to recover. First one would be the real simple things when they're really the grass grows grass. So if you can keep three leaves on a one grass plant, it will grow more grass for you. If you if you bear it down to the floor, it takes a long time to recover from that grazing. So if you wanted to get into technical things, put the cattle in at 3,000 kilograms of dry matter or plus, which is 10, 12 centimetres, take them out at six centimetres. The beer can thing is quite a good thing, isn't it, Tony, where... You put a beer can vertical and on its flat, and once it reaches the height on its flat, it's time to take those cows out. So, yeah, lots of things we can do. Lots of great resources out there. AHDB, HCC have all got good resources on grazing management. We're the, here as a Wednesday team to help you with grazing management. And to get the most out of that grass is going to be absolutely key this year, isn't it? It is. I imagine this year in particular, probably as good a year as ever to be on top of your weed control because they, they reduce the amount of grass available. Yeah, and it looks like, a, I suppose we say this every spring, but it looks like a bit of a weedy spring, doesn't it? Like a, grass is slow to grow, but the weeds always seem to, because they've got a bigger root reserve, seem to seem to crack on. Um, yeah. And there's an opportunity with weed control as well to put a bit of foliar feed in with your weed control, which, you know, it's an efficient way of growing a bit more grass in that you can kill your weeds and you grow a bit more grass and you do it a pass anyway so i think there's an opportunity there for farmers who maybe haven't gone fully down the foliar feed route to to have a bit of a play with that and it certainly helps weed control and it certainly helps with growing a bit extra grass so there's an opportunity there yeah yeah so with the calves is it worth creep feeding or is that does that depend on the season each year the straight up answer is if your grassland management is excellent and you've got grass in front of them all the time, it's the same equation as lambs that you don't get a benefit from creep feeding in some trials. In most situations, Tony, the young animal on the farm is the most efficient converter of feed. We're all paid on weight and creep feeding can have real benefits in terms of pushing things along when the grass isn't growing or where you've made a bit of a mess up of your grassland management or where the weather's against you. So there's still a potential profit with creep feeding. I would encourage people to do so. Yeah, the creep feed is dear, but remember that these young calves and young sheep are very, very efficient converters of feed and they're a lot more efficient at this stage than they are later on in the season. And also in terms of tonnages and costs, they'll eat a hell of a lot less creep as babies to get up to their weight than they will later on. So um, I think it's a good time to focus feed into situations where you're not sure if you're going to manage your expectations in terms of grass growth. Growing a lot of grass and having it at the right stage at the right time is a real skill It's a skill we're most probably going to have to relearn in a lot of situations. There's plenty of tools out there to do so. But yeah, it can be a challenge. And like, you know, we're always paid on weight. And, you know, back to my starting comments really is that rearing calves to heavier weights pays. So, you know, the feed is is a good source of doing that. And also some of the genetics that we have on farms, some of the more continental genetics do need feed to perform. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's a good opportunity for um 
keep feeding uh, even mm. at the higher prices that we're at yeah. um, so and regarding the cows which are still going to be put back into calf where do you need to keep their body condition score with, with that yeah no visited a lot of beef farms over the years tony and it's difficult to accurately assess body condition score in beef cattle okay because okay? yep. it's very very easy to confuse good confirmation with body condition score okay right. and yep. um that is you know like a few simple points that i kind of try and make to people is that you know cows are calving suckler cows are calving you want to be able to see three ribs on them sometimes difficult to measure or to visualize fat cover on the on the tail head because the cows are thick cattle you know so mm. it's difficult there so and monitoring and, and trying to do something about body condition score in suckler cattle is important far better results in terms of getting cows back in calf if they're in a condition score three two and a half to three which is you know relatively good if they're below or above that you have problems getting them back in calf and it's the same with sheep as well really if you can keep sheep or cattle on a relatively level plane of condition you will get better results okay why do i say that in that it takes two or three months of good nutrition to put a condition score points back on a cow it's mm -hmm. about 60 kilos 70 kilos it's about 10 kilos on a sheep so that's a lot of feed resources to go into them and it generally takes a couple of months to get them back into that condition so mm -hmm. if you think that your cows calve should calve at a condition score three three ribs showing if they drop a lot of condition then because you've done something poor with the grassland management there's not enough grass in front of them or they've had a dry period like we've had today they can lose body condition very very quickly you want to get them back in calf by about the 100 days mark tony don't you have to stick yeah. to your 365 day calving interval you haven't got that two months to play around with so no. keep those cows in the correct condition up to and beyond the time that you're serving them you're putting the bulls back in and that's where i think that people you know miss the boat a bit with it oh yeah there's grass out there we haven't had a grassy april and we've missed the boat a bit yeah mm. turning our attention to forage what do circle herd farmers need to be planning now for next winter's forage or maybe even later in the summer as well things like catch crops and so on yeah, it's a great time to be talking about this now, Tony, isn't it? Because we're in the time of year where we can actually do something about this, can't we? Um, yeah. It's too late in October, isn't it? So yeah. we're at the ideal opportunity, really. Now, let's let's look at what's happened, isn't it? For years and years, we've been putting silage into our costings at about 90, 95 pound a tonne dry matter grown. What does that mean in real terms? Well, say if your silage is... 30% dry matter divided that by three, 35 pound a tonne fresh weight on farm, which are figures yeah. that most people would know, 18 quid for a bale of silage, half a tonne bale. Yeah, you're there, aren't you? Yeah. What's happened the last two or three months, really, in various places to put costings together on this, because of the increase in fertilizers of price, you can remember fertilizers has gone up nearly two to three fold really isn't it that cost per ton of dry matter now is closer to 180 pound so okay. your grass silage cost has doubled which means that a sickle cow through the winter the cost of keeping her if it's a silage based system has doubled now a quick glance at any costings will tell you that 
there isn't that much scope within the costings to make money if you if your silage cost is doubled. Mm. So, right, we've got to look at strategies to reduce the cost of feeding the cow during the winter. Now, I suppose there's two camps here, Tony. One where there's an opportunity on farm where they've got lighter ground or freer draining fields or to outwinter, or possibly a better option is to have some flexibility through the winter. I've farmed heavier farms over the years, and you know, a strategy that's worked well for me is that I've grown some cheap enough stubble turnips in a few fields. So say that we have a dry period in December, we've turned the suckler cows out for a month, six weeks, mm. saved a bit of work um, and saved a lot of cost. So mm. even if you're on a on a heavier farm, as long as you manage it carefully, there's an opportunity there to reduce your wintering cost. On lighter ground, I would definitely, and now's the time to do it, really look at long-term brassicas. Things like kale are a good outwintering crop and had a lot of success in the last 10 years on outwintering cattle on grazed fodder beet. And the cost of production of those is about half of that of a of grass silage at the moment. Rough figures really there, but it all depends on you know how, how good a job you do on growing that crop. But a, you know, a decent yield is about half. And also, if you're on a farm where the wintering is a bit, bit heavier, you know, there's still an opportunity to grow maize. Maize, again, because it doesn't use quite as much fertilizer and you can utilize farmyard manure with maize, again, lower costs as long as you grow a good crop of it. So, there's opportunities there. Now, let's look at the, some of our listeners might be sitting there thinking. Oh, can't really do any of those things. You know, you can still buy decent quality hay at around about £100 a tonne, which works out about £110, £115 a tonne dry matter. So significantly cheaper than you're going to make silage this year, unless you bought your fertiliser early on in the equation, isn't it? So. Yeah. Those, those are, I think those are real tips, really. Uh, and we're here as a Wednesday team to kind of uh, steer people in the right direction or provide advice on the agronomy side of, of those um, strategies that people can employ to you know, reduce the wintering costs. And I suppose there's, there's also the other strategy that farmers can employ and a lot of people have, isn't it? Don't keep anything that is a problem um, mm-hmm. in terms of their poor fertility. Uh, try and sell your stock a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. get the growth get them away, get things to perform on your farm and don't carry any passengers through the winter. So mm. um, I just remember at this point as well, Tony, is that, you know, some cyclic cow systems are profitable. It's not all doom and gloom, but, you know, the profitable ones focus on the uh, issues that we discussed earlier on. OK. And, yeah. you know, I suppose the other one is make the most of the grass that you've got on the farm as well. Rotationally graze, try and grow some standing hay for the winter. That works well, even on, on heavier farms. So, yeah, yeah. plenty of options there. Okay, Brendan, that other hot topic at the moment, multi-species lays and red clover, what are your thoughts on those? Yeah, it is a hot topic, Tony, and there's a fair bit of uh, noise out there, a lot of people uh, kind of advocating it. I suppose one of the things that's really pushing it this year is that some research done over in Ireland has shown that you can get good growth um, with using about 70% less nitrogen input. So that's a that's a cracking headline, really. Where does the nitrogen come from in a multi-species lay? Well, it's really reliant on the legumes within that, isn't it? And, you know, there is nothing new about a multi-species lay, Tony. Now, if we looked back in the history of modern agriculture there was a thing called the cockle park mix which was developed yes in, i remember in, that uh, yes in newcastle yeah you, <laughs> you know and what was the cockle park mix well it revolutionized upland and hill farming in the uk 
it was extremely popular all over the world. And what was it? Well, it was basically perennial ryegrass, coxfoot, timothy, and a mixture of English red clover and basically wild white clover mixes. So that was the mix. And, you know, if you have a mix like that, we've got them in terms of our centenary mix in in our catalogue. It's a, you know, it's an excellent mix that's going to grow you a lot of grass, relying on the input of nitrogen from the legumes within there. Now, we can go a step further than that by adding different legumes uh, birds for trefoil, vetches, and etc. But you just need to be a little bit careful when you go a long way down the multi-species route, and that uh, they become slightly more difficult to manage than the the standard, and possibly don't stand up to heavier grazing regimes that you know that classic kind of cockle park mix will will stand up to. So, yeah, lots of opportunities there. And if we put it in real basic terms. Remember that a newly sown lay is going to be a lot more productive than a an older lay or grassland that hasn't been farmed particularly well. So, you know, that's some of the benefit that we see with these multi-species lays is that it's their fresh seeds. Okay. Um, but lots of opportunity there. Uh, it certainly ticks a lot of boxes in terms of the environment. Most really ticks a lot of boxes in terms of the fertilizer cost. And we've got to remember as well is that nitrogen usage on beef and sheep farms has dropped considerably as the price increases over a number of years, over 15, 20 years. Tony, I'm sure you remember customers used to buy two Arctic loads of nitrogen and now they're buying two thirds of an, a load yeah. because they've changed the way they're doing things and we're less reliant on nitrogen as we are. So, mm-hmm. yeah, good. So, Basically, a lot to summarise there, Tony. Focus on your grassland. Focus on good fertility and getting cows back in calf. Focus on growing as much kilograms of beef off that farm as quickly as you can. Focus on a few targets. A great target, I think, is a cow should wean between 40 to 60% of her body weight. Again, if you're not doing that, really look at what you're doing. Are your cows too big? Are you not feeding those calves properly? You know, the the mean or the medium is a cow should rear 50 or wean 50% of a body weight, 48 to 50%. So if you've got a 600 kilo cow, it's weaning a 300 kilo calf, isn't it? Right. Take some, okay. take some doing. Take some doing. Okay. Yeah. But focus yeah. on that. If you've got a 750 kilo cow, is she really going to wean a well, 400 <laughs> kilo yeah. calf? Possibly not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So lots to think about. We're here to provide advice. We've got all the things, the people, inputs that people need to help them go through a difficult time. Yeah. Thanks, Tony. Okay. Thank you, Bryn. Yeah, well, thank you, Bryn. As ever, you're a fountain of knowledge. It's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The AgriEd podcast will be back next month with more news, insights, chat and tips. So don't forget to like and subscribe now. Why not listen back to season one where we covered everything from rearing beef from field to fork, beef cow rearing to maximising milk solids. Or earlier this year, we covered future proof in your suckle herd with Bryn, a topic which has become even more pertinent over the last couple of months. If you'd like any advice or practical narrow in the meantime, just visit our website and we'd be happy to help. Until next time, thank you for tuning in and we look forward to welcoming you again soon.